0: Hello, everybody. Uh, as Craig said, I'm Kristen. Um, I'm not one of the youth, even though most people think I am. Um, like Craig said, um, we're in a series called Now What? Um, and it's a series that we've been, uh, last week Craig started talking about what do we do in light of Easter. Um, last week we talked about the disciples and how Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection and how that changed Everything. Um, and like Craig mentioned, today we're looking at Jonah, and we're going to look at this Old Testament story in light of Easter, and it might not be something that you do often, um, but it's something that's very rewarding. Um, so we're going to be mostly in Jonah 3, so I encourage you to open your Bibles there. Um, it's page 655 for the Pew Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. Since we're jumping in partway, I'm just going to do a quick recap of Jonah, just in case you're not familiar with it. Um, So, the book of Jonah is about a prophet named Jonah, which God calls to go to Nineveh, which is a wicked city, and God says, deliver a message. Jonah doesn't want to do that, so he runs in the opposite direction. 2,000 miles in the opposite direction is where he's headed, to Tarshish. During the trip to Tarshish, a great storm comes, and Jonah tells the sailors to throw him overboard to save themselves, because he knows that God has sent this storm. But God saves Jonah and sends a great fish and it swallows Jonah up. Jonah prays, th- prays to God from the belly of the fish. And after three days, God once again shows him mercy and saves him, calling the fish to spit Jonah up onto dry land. And this takes us to chapter 3, which I'll be reading. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? So at the beginning of this passage, Jonah finds himself in his own now what situation. God had just saved Jonah not once, but twice. Once from drowning and once from being digested by a fish. And we see that Jonah did respond in some way to these two acts of salvation. Jonah did obey God, but we can also see that he didn't really get what God had done for him, and he didn't really grasp God's character in light of his rescue. And we can see this in Jonah's response to what happened in Nineveh after they repented and God showed them mercy. We see it very clearly in that bizarre outburst of Jonah in which he gives a description of God listing many of his attributes and it seems like that's a really negative thing. He's angry at God because of God's character. And I know you just heard it, but let me read once more what this, what this description of God is. It's in 42 if you're following along. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I don't know about you, but to me this sounds like a pretty awesome description of who God is. But we read that Jonah was angry. Why? Jonah was angry because for God to be all of these traits towards Jonah, was all well and good. He was like, great God, you saved me. But for God to be this way to the Ninevites? Well, that's a different story. In Jonah's mind, that just wasn't fair. It wasn't fair because of who the Ninevites were to Jonah. It's not like Jonah just woke up one morning and said, hmm, I'm just going to start hating the Ninevites. Uh, The Ninevites were part of the Assyrian Empire And the Assyrian Empire was a really, really wicked empire who delighted and boasted in its cruelty and violence towards people. They celebrated torture, dismemberment, skinning and burning people alive, and other such atrocities. The Ninevites and the Assyrians more broadly were the people that were feared and hated because of their cruelty. And some of this violence had been perpetrated against the Israelites and Jonah was an Israelite. So we can see why Jonah didn't like them. Jonah wanted them to be punished for what they had done. He thought that the Ninevites didn't deserve God's mercy. They didn't deserve compassion. And the fact that God gives it to them is scandalous and infuriating to Jonah. How could God even offer them a chance to repent? They, of all people, deserved the proclamation of judgment that Jonah spoke. God ought to overthrow them. That's what Jonah wants, and that's why he's angry. The funny thing is that God did overthrow the Ninevites, just not in the way that Jonah wanted or expected. You see, the Hebrew word that means to overthrow is a multifaceted word, as are a lot of words in Hebrew. And while it can mean to be overthrown in a militaristic sense of getting destroyed, we see this in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it also means being transformed so completely that the original thing is unrecognizable, like when Moses' staff turns into a snake. It also can mean to turn around and change direction, going away from what you used to be going towards. And it is in these last two senses of the word that God actually does overthrow the Ninevites. He overthrows not their city or their bodies, but their hearts. So they turn away from their evil ways and set aside their wickedness with mourning and humility, turning instead to seek the favor and forgiveness of God. And it's not because Jonah was an amazing preacher that the people of Nineveh repented. Jonah's proclamation is a mere five words in Hebrew. The message didn't have a, thus says the Lord, which typically prophets would use to say that the message was from God, not from themselves. He only went one day into Nineveh, which it says takes three days to travel. Jonah couldn't say that he put his best effort into this missionary journey. No, the astonishing and unexpected result of the repentance of Nineveh is not the result of Jonah, But rather, it was the result of divine intervention from a God who does not give up on his people, a God who considers all people to be his people, a God who relents from sending calamity but does not relent from pursuing hearts. And you see, Jonah knew this to be true about God. He had this information in his head. It's information that fills the Old Testament scriptures, information that he spouted accusingly at God in his anger. But the meaning and significance of this knowledge had not taken root in his heart. He did not truly understand what it meant for him or for those around him. And perhaps we find ourselves in the same situation. When Jonah rails against God, he's essentially saying, How dare you want them! God, how could you possibly forgive them? After all they've done, don't you know who they are? And perhaps those questions sound familiar. Perhaps we think these things sometimes. Perhaps we are like Jonah and have our own Ninevites, our own group of people that we don't like, that we don't want to see forgiven. Now, there are probably some of these groups that we could all agree on, Nazi Germany, or ISIS because we see all of the evil things. But there's probably some more subtle Ninevites for all of us. Ninevites that are not as obvious. Maybe individuals who have hurt us or hurt those we love. People from a different political party. People who interpret the Bible differently from us. People from other races, religions, countries. Those whose lifestyles are different from yours or maybe just those who root for the sports team that's your sports team's sworn enemy. Maybe there are others that you just don't like for no particular reason. Or maybe there's those you don't necessarily dislike, but you're just kind of apathetic. You don't really care one way or another. In either of these instances, I'd like to offer a question in light of Easter. Do we act like God's grace and mercy are good news for us, something that we can just take for granted, but something that's not worthy of effort for the sake of other people? Do we, like Jonah, resent that God has called us to reach out, to be used as instruments of his mercy, grace, and love to those that we would rather avoid or go out of our way to interact with? Is that our response to Jesus' great commission? Do you see yourself in the response of Jonah? I know I sometimes do, and I suspect it may be true for you as well. Jonah's response to grace offers us this challenge. The Ninevites also offer us a challenge, and perhaps you see yourself as one of them. This might be hard for you, however, because not many of us like to consider ourselves as sinners. We prefer to think that we're generally good people well-liked and respected we don't think of ourselves as being someone else's Ninevite but the reality is we probably are we downplay or forget the ways that we hurt those around us either by our actions and our words or by our neglect and silence none of us are perfect people and all of us have sinned and are in need of forgiveness Therefore, we need to be careful not to fall into the pattern of pointing our fingers at everyone else except ourselves. We should mourn our sin the way the Ninevites did. Not saying we need to necessarily put on sackcloth or sit in the dust, but we should take sin seriously. We need to spend time in prayer, confessing to God that we've done wrong. Additionally, It doesn't say that the Ninevites just said, Oh God, please forgive me, and everything was great. It also says that they turned from their evil ways. Repentance doesn't just mean asking for forgiveness. It means a concrete change in our behavior to stop doing the sinful things we had been doing. And this challenge of the Ninevites offers all of us the opportunity to reflect on our own lives and see where we might be sinning, where we might need to repent, where we might need to ask for forgiveness. I also think that there's a third mindset that we can get from the story of Jonah. And this mindset is one I'd like to dwell in a bit because it seems pretty foundational. This third mindset is a combination of Jonah's attitude and the Ninevites' reality. In this mindset, we recognize deeply that we are sinners, but we also ask those questions that Jonah asked, About ourselves and it seems to me if we're being honest this is a mindset that we all find ourselves in at some point maybe you sometimes wonder how could God possibly love me could God really want me could God really redeem me We think that if God sees and knows about all the junk in our lives, the things in our past, the secrets that we've held on to, how could he possibly want to have anything to do with me? I've wandered too far away, messed up too many times. I did not live up to God's expectations. I am not enough. I cannot do enough. And therefore, I do not deserve his mercy. And it's true, we don't deserve God's mercy. But that's the scandal of this story. No one deserves God's mercy. Jonah had no right to be delivered when he ran from God. No right to be restored to his position as a prophet. The Ninevites had no reason to expect God's forgiveness for all the horrible things they had done. There's not a character in this story, not a character in the Bible, not a person on this earth that deserves God's mercy, but he gives it anyways. And this God we see in Jonah, the God who had the audacity to offer the Ninevites a second chance, these people who represented the worst that this world has to offer, this same God has relentlessly pursued you and me with an extravagant love, an extravagant grace and mercy demonstrated most clearly By the biggest scandal i know of the cross romans 5 8 says but god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us that is the scandal of the gospel the perfect son of god dying for lowly sinners like you and me because he loves us so greatly and it is the through the work of Jesus Christ on that cross that God offers us a second chance and a third chance, and as many chances as this life can give us. It is there that God offers us the opportunity to have our hearts be constantly overthrown, to be turned away from sin and, to re- and towards repentance, giving us new life that we might be reconciled to this God who loves us so recklessly. And as Christians, we, like Jonah, know these things to be true. We've read them countless times in our scriptures. We celebrated them two weeks ago with Easter and Good Friday. But we are also people who so easily forget. And this thing, this act of love that is the best news for the world, can easily become just another fact that we know. Just another Sunday school answer that has lost its meaning and has ceased to move us. We forget the great cost of the cross. We forget the incredible love, grace, and mercy poured out on us that we did nothing to deserve. How often do we let these truths enter our hearts and truly transform the way we look at ourselves and the way we look at and interact with others? We say that the cross and the resurrection changes everything. And sometimes our lives reflect that reality. Here at PCC, our mission is helping people discover and experience the life changing love of Christ. And we do that. We love, we reach out, we have small groups, we have the street church ministry, we have youth ministry, and many other things. And I know many of you also reach out individually. So I don't want to just stand up here and have you think I'm just pointing my finger saying, do better. It's not what this sermon is about. I do however want you to hear the criticism and the challenge that Jonah offers because we all have room to better follow God. Sometimes we, sometimes I, like Jonah, miss the full implication of this good news, this gospel, And as with most things, it's much easier to identify it in other people than in ourselves. So we can easily read Jonah and say, he just didn't get it. Or we can look elsewhere in the Bible, like the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. In this parable, Jesus talks about two different servants. The first servant owes his master a ton of money. He's never going to be able to uh, pay it all back. So he begs the master to forgive his debt, and the master does. Shortly after, this first servant goes and finds another servant who owes him a little bit of money. But the second servant can't pay him back either, and so he locks him up until he can pay. And when the master hears about it, his response in verse 33 of Matthew 18 is, "'Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you?' So when we look at this parable, just like when we look at Jonah, we can look at the servant and say how ridiculous his actions were. We can say, of course he should have forgiven this servant. It's obvious. And in principle, these things are obvious. They're easy to grasp, but they're a lot harder to work out in real life. And I challenge you to look for the more subtle parallels of both this parable and the story of Jonah in your own lives. It's easy to understand grace, but it's a lot harder to accept it and to act on it. When we are, but when we, are fully, when we fully experience and accept the grace that's given to us, we are released to give it freely to others in a way that this world cannot understand. When we experience how radically we are loved we are enabled to love the unlovable in us and around us. So how do we answer the question of now what? What do we do in light of Easter, in light of grace? We love, we forgive. We go out into the world as people who treat others with grace and mercy and kindness because we know and have experienced those things which have been shown to us by God at the cross. We let God work through us, transforming us and enabling us to be his ambassadors, those who boldly proclaim with our words and actions that our God is love, that our gospel is good news for all people, that our gospel is good news for us. Let us not forget Easter. Let us be people who actively remember and whose lives reflect this amazing gift that we've been given. And now we'll have the opportunity to participate in an act that helps us remember. Each Sunday we take communion, and we remember Easter. Today the ushers will come forward and pass the trays, and we're going to hold on to the elements until everybody's been served. And then I'll lead us in taking them together. Please use the time that it takes to pass out and as the band is playing to reflect, to pray, to confess, to prepare your hearts for communion, and to remember the grace that's been shown to you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take the bread.